stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives and uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that, when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors, and president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. I'm kind of in awe right now as we record this episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Um, I reached out to Rodney Stotts when I saw him in an interview for the GISH, which is the Great International Scavenger Hunt, and it's a fundraiser out of Canada. And... um, Rodney was on the show. They did like a, a webinar about Rodney and his raptors. And he's a falconer in the Washington, D.C. area. So, Rodney, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so, I asked you to be on here because um, I'm a big believer that the stories that we tell and how we tell them really define our identity for better or for worse. And when I heard the stories that you told during that interview, I was kind of, um, I was relieved in some ways because it was such um, a confirmation that the work I'm doing is the right work because you're doing a lot of similar work in helping people transition from one place in their heads to another. So can you tell us, the listeners, um, I always start with asking my guests to share something about about themselves that most people might not know. Do you have something that you'd be interested in sharing there? Um, my life is pretty much an open book. I can't really think of anything that people may not know except for, I don't eat a lot of vegetables. That's about it. Everything else is pretty much an open book. You're not a vegetable eater. No, well, man. I'm a straight carnivore <laughs> like my birds and everything else. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I eat a lot of veggies, and um, but I didn't when I was younger because I was a I'm a child of the '70s, and so most veggies came frozen. I lived in Colorado, so we we didn't get a lot of fresh veggies when I was a kid. It wasn't until I lived in Washington D.C. that I started eating really a lot more fresh veggies because they were accessible to me. So I think that's funny. You're not a veggie eater. If you eat a veggie, what would it be? Wow. Cucumber, maybe. Oh, yeah. That's an easy one. It tastes like water. That's about (laughs) it. (laughs) Well, that's a good one. Um, So 
let's just kind of dive right in because I don't want to, I, I want to honor your time. And um, one of the things that struck me was the fact that you had some uh, pretty dangerous situations as a kid. And this is what drew you to Raptors. So I'm curious about the first time you interacted one with one. And are there other animals that you connect with in the same way or in a similar way? Oh, most definitely. I'm really not a people person. I love animals. They're the, they don't judge you for anything except for who you actually are. Are you going to love me? Will you take care of me? Will you be there for me? And they're not going to lie to you or do anything except for what an animal does that loves you. So it's not just the birds. I've all, I've had almost every type of animal you can think of from iguanas to crayfish to white mice. I have dogs, horses, chickens, guinea hen, roosters, you name it. I've had it all. So I'm just a big animal lover. The raptors came about with a nonprofit that I was working with and we were doing raptor education. And so the first bird that I interacted with was a Eurasian eagle owl named Mr. Hoots. And from that point on, it just took off. Mr. Hoots. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that animal. Was it, um, was it one of the bigger animals? Can you describe it a little bit? Eurasian eagle owls are one of the largest owl species. The great horned owl is what you would usually find here in the United States. Well, the female Eurasian eagle owl is almost twice that size. They're a nice, huge bird, large raptor, and they're extremely powerful. So you have to be very careful with them when you're handling them. Wow. That's a big bird. <laughs> My biggest bird experience was I was... Um, in a kayak on the Missouri river and a pelican flew over my head and its wingspan was twice the size. That I I'm only five feet tall, so it's not that hard to be bigger than me. But um, I remember being kind of in awe as I watched it fly over my head because I was thinking this is like a pterodactyl or now they're calling them pteranodon because they did some discovery on the pterodactyl and decided it no longer exists. But are you familiar with those um, prehistoric birds? And do you kind of see that prehistoric sensibility when you're working with your raptors? Um, kind of, sort of. I don't really look at it in a prehistoric way. It's kind of funny. I, when I was a kid, there was a episode of Johnny Quest and they had this big pterodactyl and he was so I think my earliest memory of any type of bird person relationship was that particular cartoon from 30 40 years ago so looking at it from that way of knowing about him yes today it wasn't so much of uh the history of them and everything it's another animal that I just happened to connect with. And what was so unusual was it's something that 85, 90% of the population never gets to do, has an right. opportunity to do. However, just never ends up doing. Wow. So Mr. Hoots, did he land on your arm? Did you have that, that glove on your arm and he landed on your arm? 
Uh, with him, he doesn't fly to you. He'll fly to a perch. What happened was I was able to go in and I had to pick him up. And when I picked him up, people used to always say, you're not supposed to look eye to eye to animals and all these other myths and everything. However, when I turned him around and we looked at each other, it was this feeling that just came over me. It was like the junkie that just took his first fix, the crack <laughs> addict that took his first pull. It, it was that high, like you, you chase it from that point on. It was something about it that I'd never felt before with any other animal. I, it's just almost indescribable. There's really no word that you can put there. I am, as you just told that story, I got a chill up my back, those little, you know, goosebumps up my back. And <laughs> the word that popped into my head was electricity. There was like an electricity between you. Yes. Yes, definitely. If you, I'd say if you put a piece of paper in between us, it probably would have caught fire. It was just that wow. intense. It was, it was something about, it was like he was telling me we're in this for the long haul. Because he was an injured raptor that if someone wasn't there to do something for him, he never would have made it. And I was, I guess, that injured person being who I was and the things that I was doing, that I was doing at that time, I wouldn't have made it. So there was something sometimes where I knew I had things I had to go and do, which prevented me from going to do things that I shouldn't have been doing. So it was more of a, people think that, these animals, I save them. No, <laughs> no, not by a long shot. They save me every single moment of the day. So basically, you shifted when you when you saw it as your responsibility to be part of their lives. And so yes. you shifted the way you spent your time. So it was more with them and less in the risk factor. Yes, definitely. Wow. Wow. So you, I'm just imagining you standing there looking at this owl in the eyes and the, the electricity coming between you. Do you remember, were you holding your breath or did you feel like your heart rate went up? I mean, what happened? And do you remember? To be honest, there was nothing. It wasn't like you super excited. It was just a calm. It was, it was, I, 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 it's so hard to describe. It was just that instant you know something it was it wasn't that you were heart beating and you were nervous and anxiety it was none of that it, it was so surprised it was just i'm standing here and i'm looking at this bird and i'm sitting here saying to myself this bird can just reach forward and pull my face i mean just everything and then i pulled them to me and we were touching nose to beat and i'm just sitting there and from that, I'm t when people see me with that bird, they think that that's like my child, which technically he is. Because if you hurt him, I'm gonna hurt you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I I'm trying to think of any time. The only time I've had that experience was with my children. I think, and I think um, because <laughs> you said, "Do you have children?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can tell because that's. That was the analogy used. Anyone with a child has had that calming experience with them, especially in those first few days of their lives when mm -hmm. they're born and they are completely dependent. 
and yet you feel like they have your whole life in their hand. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm like tearing up, and I'm oh my goodness, not a crier. <laughs> I'm not a crier, but just that that sense of um, connection that's so intense and. Um, the way you describe it, I know you said you couldn't describe it, but you did. You described it in a way that I feel like I was standing there next to you watching you nose to beak. And just that sense of calm that washes over you that, well, for lack of a better word, love. Oh, I love them. I love all my animals from yeah. my little white mice to goldfish to my dogs to my horses. There's, I don't love one more than the other. One may require more attention than the other. However, <laughs> yeah. I love like them lovers. all the same. Yes, exactly. <laughs> However, I love them all the same. And I couldn't imagine what I would, I because I, I'm doing what I'm doing, I don't even try to imagine what I could have been doing or where else mm-hmm. I would have been. Because why? All those what ifs, they don't lead you to anything. No, ma'am. I am so happy where I am right now. It, it's, I have a long way to go for what I'm trying to accomplish. However, starting it and doing it and seeing it every day, progress, progress, progress. It makes it all worthwhile in the end. Yeah. So um, I, I think for our audience, now I know a little bit about your history just from that interview, but I think for our audience, could you tell the story of why you were volunteering that day? Which day volunteer? Was this a community service thing that you had to do? Or what oh, no, was ma'am. it that, oh, okay. What was it that triggered this decision to go volunteer and meet this raptor? Well, technically what happened was there was a, I was a hustler at the time. I was selling drugs. I was out in the streets. I was doing all that crazy nonsense. And I actually needed a pay stub. So that because when you go for an apartment or something, you couldn't put drug dealer you know, you had to have a paste of it. So they actually had the uh, Earth Conservation Corps and a cleaning job. And they had a job fair down in Valley Green. So I went down there, I applied for both. Earth Conservation Corps called me back and then the cleaning company actually called me back five minutes later. And I told them I was going to be with Earth Conservation Corps because I like just being outside. I don't like office buildings. I can't stand being under the air conditioners. I like to be outside in the water, in the nature, in the rain, in the snow, whatever. I just got to be outside. So I ended up taking that job. What happened was when we went to Texas, the young lady that originally started with us was murdered in Texas. And when we came back, one of the programs, maybe two, three years later, that started up was a raptor education program. And that's how we ended up with the Eurasian Eagle Owl. And so because I was at that program, I wanted to become one of the raptor handlers and I had to learn certain things to do and how to approach them. And however, 90% of the stuff that they told me and that I learned didn't work because every bird has its own personality and they take to you differently, the same as they would any other animal would. So I had to go in and just sit there and wait and go through all of the birds flying around you and doing the crazy stuff. And eventually everything just fell into place. And now you would never know that we went through what we went through to get to where we are now. They have to choose you. Basically. They have to know that you are someone to be trusted. Yes, ma'am. 
You cannot lie to that animal. You can lie to a person all day long, but you cannot lie to that animal. If that animal knows it smells them pheromones coming off you that you're not right. Something's not good about you. And at that time, I probably had the worst pheromones coming off of me because I was a really, really uh, bad guy. I'll just say that. I just, I really was a bad guy. And so I, it was more animals took to me more, I guess, because I was one of them. I was a wild animal and <laughs> things just, we tamed each other, I guess. We all just realized that we needed each other. And once you realize that you couldn't do it on your own and the animals seemed to do it more for you than any person did, that was it. Mm -hmm. You know, that actually, as, as I'm imagining you in a giant aviary with birds flying around, um, that makes a lot of sense that they would be attracted to you because you were just you. There was like, you knew exactly who you were and you weren't trying to be something else at that point, right? Oh, no, ma'am. So I think they recognize that. I find that to be the same with any animal. At least I've, I've had that experience with every dog I've interacted with. They, they know whether they can trust you. And you're right. They, they know when you're lying. <laughs> exactly. There are some that are damaged enough to believe you because they want to. I think oftentimes people have that same experience where they know better, but they trust you because they need to. Yes. Yes. Mm. That is really interesting. So for our listeners, if you ever want to um, test yourself and whether you're being true to yourself, <laughs> go sit in an aviary full of <laughs> raptors and see what happens. <laughs> so was that in Washington, D.C.? Where was that program? Uh, yes, ma'am. Down in southwest Washington, D.C., uh, first in Half Street, actually, we... We first uh, got the old pump house building that used to pump the steam heat to the Capitol. And then we acquired the Matthew Henson Center, which is one of the Petco buildings on Half Street, which is on the other side of uh, South Capitol Street Bridge. So as you come down South Capitol Street Bridge on the right side is the Earth Conservation Corps Monique Johnson Center, which is the young lady that was murdered. And on the other side is the Matthew Henson Center, which is the co-discoverer of the North Pole. Wow. I was right there and I never knew that that was there. How long has it been there? Uh, we were there since 94, 95. Yeah. Yes, so I was there. I've, I left Washington, D.C. in 99. So oh, um, and yes. I actually worked at L'Enfant Plaza at the International Trade Commission just down the road from that. Right. Right down the street. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I can't believe I missed it. I was right there. <laughs> wow. We had the only aviary uh, on the, we had the first green roof in DC and we had the aviary put on our top of our roof. So the birds actually stayed there at the building. So people, as you come down half street, you would hear the owl on top of the roof or one of the hawks and things of that nature, the different birds that we had over the years. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, I have to give you this little heads up about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I interviewed another guy that's a falconer. So what was his name? His name is Rocky Cannell, and okay. he's from Montana. And oh. um, 
it's a it's a side gig. He's just always loved doing it. And so he does it. But his son is a professional falconer, Rainer, and he actually goes to Washington State to the agricultural locations and has his pair of hawks that he brings with him to help control the rodent population in uh-huh. agricultural areas. It's called abatement. Abatement. Oh, yes. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Given when you have your what birds I know that word to me. Yeah, you train your bird to actually resist making the kill because if the bird makes the kill, then you have to reward them. So the bird then has to be put up for that day. So what you do is you reward the bird as he chases it off. You'll call him back and you'll get him to come back, but they'll clear fields. Most people that have uh, vineyards use Oplomato falcons, things like that. They're natural uh, rodent prevention, everything. What we end up doing is throwing out the poisons, trying to kill the mice. The birds eat the mice, which in turn eat the poison, which ends up killing the bird. So we tell people, instead of throwing the poisons out, call a falconer. Believe me, if you have enough mice, my birds will stay in your field forever. (laughs) That is so cool. That is just so cool. You know, it's... I keep thinking about all of these interactions I've had with um, people trying to get rid of rodents and all those weird things that people do in terms of poisons. And they're, the one thing is there are natural um, predators for these animals, but you have to be really careful about not bringing in an animal that won't, that has an easier target, I guess, in, in many hundreds of years over different um, civilizations, they've introduced other animals to places that they weren't natural and right. then they took over. So, um, but hawks and, and raptors in general, I can't imagine that being an issue because they're everywhere already, right? Well, see, dip, there are certain birds that are native to certain areas. So like mm-hmm. up here, Harris hawks are not native in D.C., you would go to Arizona, New Mexico, uh, desert. Those are mostly desert birds. However, mm-hmm. if you had one up here, uh, the thing with that is if you bring something that reproduces at a, an alarmingly fast rate and has no natural predators, then you have a, a problem on your hand. You can That can easily get out of control. But these are people's personal birds that they've trapped and or purchased so these are birds that you're not going to leave out and go away for days and come back. At the end of each day, you're taking your bird with you. So you're not leaving a bird out and it can potentially breed with something else or get into something that can mess up the population. That's one of the things that you make sure you have telemetry on your bird. So if your bird happens to get loose, you're able to at least t- start trying to find your bird. Right. Track it down. Yes, ma'am. Interesting. So um, I'm curious, I, obviously, in your drug dealing hustling days, you weren't a great student. Um, but do you remember being interested in that kind of uh, research or any kind of research when you were younger before you took this on where you'd be so interested in something that you would find out that like the kind of the level of detail that you know now about your raptors? Actually, I was going to be a lawyer. So I used to hook <laughs> school. And used to go to the court building and sit and watch court cases. I would literally get my books in school. I would do all of the assignments that was in the books. 
So all I had to do was write a date on them and turn them in. So I would go to the Willie Park Zoo or down to the U.S. court building at least three times a week and be in school for the other two days so that I at least can say that I had an attendance there. However, I used to, you would find me at the D.C. Superior Court building or Willie Park National Zoo almost every other day for weeks and weeks and throughout the whole school year, summers. That's, I just, it was the law and animals, basically. And I was isn't breaking the law, funny? but I love the animals. <laughs> well, isn't that funny? You would think that that would be such a contradiction. I mean, the two yeah. places are such opposite places. And yet, if you care enough about animals, you'd want to get into a position of either law or policy to be able to protect them, I guess, right? Yes. Yes. Huh. See, back then, I guess you don't know what the future holds. So you're just going through the motions. So if I'd have known some of this stuff, then it may be uh, turned out a lot differently. However, I didn't know that this is what it was setting me up for. So some of those times, like when your kid do something and you just can't understand why they're doing it and you, ah, you're just driving me crazy. Just <laughs> wait. There's something down the line for them that <laughs> no one expected. So just hold on. Oh, that gives me great hope, Rodney. <laughs> it gives me great hope for our boys. They are, um, they're doing their own thing right now. And, and I'm, I'm easygoing like that because I know I'm still figuring it out. Um, I, it was just in the last five years that I really identified what I, I, what my magic is. And so I don't expect them to understand it this early, but I know others um, kind of put that pressure on their kids to try to figure out what they want or to do something consistently so they get good at it. But you're right. It's um, you have to kind of follow those breadcrumbs until you figure out what it is. So what made you start drug dealing? I mean, obviously you were a good student. You had some ideas in your head about what you liked. So money. Um, I mean, the whole simple thing back then in 84, 85, 86, around in that time, that's when, Hustling was basically crack cocaine of uh, marijuana and love boat was coming out in DC. And you would back then it was the mentality of flipping burgers. I'm not flipping burgers for two dollars and thirty-five cents when I can go right here for 10 minutes and have two hundred dollars. So you want me to work 40 hours, slave over this grease everywhere, do all of this for hundred and thirty-five dollars at the end of two weeks. When at the end of the day, I had a thousand dollars. Are you crazy? Oh. And so in the beginning, it was more of you tired of eating wish sandwiches. You know, you got two slices of bread and wish you had a piece of meat in between there. You know, you tired of when you wish you had some new shoes. You wish you had the up to date this or that, not realizing that shoes were shoes. The name just meant you spent money putting money in other people's pockets. As long as you had shoes on your feet. That's what really mattered. And at that time, the, the whole trend, the whole fad, it was what was going on. And once you get involved with it, it's not something really that when you get to certain levels, you can't just walk away. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. Oh, it makes me so sad. I remember when I lived in the D.C. area, seeing that kind of thing going on. And um, it, it didn't occur to me until you just described it so clearly the difference between flipping burgers and then selling some drugs on the corner. 
Uh, it's so sad. I'm going to tell you one thing that people don't realize, though. This is one thing that all your listeners should really understand. When it comes to some of the young people that are out there doing what they're doing, it's not when they started, it wasn't about, oh, I wanted a flashy car. I wanted this. I want. It's because they didn't have food in the house. They didn't have electricity for months. They didn't have running water. So when it started, it started trying to get back to just being basically poor. Mm -hmm. Then once things started going and you are now able to put, instead of having hot dogs and potato chips, you can now have hot dogs and French fries and potatoes and a salad and, and the fresh vegetables and the things, you know, you can have all of that stuff. And now you're telling me to go back to making oodles and noodles out of hot water with a book over top of it for three minutes. No. Back to the wish sandwich. Right. And so that's what a lot of it stem well, and especially in my case and from people around my age that started back then, it wasn't about, Oh, I want to flash. I want a necklace. I want to do. No, it was about eating. It was about surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that people could probably have opportunities to be involved with the Raptor life, um, but they don't take it. And I think about the opportunities, the best and the worst sense of accessing the drugs to be able to sell them. And once they're available, then of course that's the choice they're going to make because of that, that wish sandwich that's in their hand. I, I, the reason I keep coming back to that is because I remember in college and even in high school, sometimes I was really hungry and my family appeared to have money. Mm -hmm. We, we had a nice car, we had a nice house. Um, but I was wearing my brother's hand-me-down Levi's cause we couldn't go out and get me new jeans. And I mm -hmm. remember in college just being hungry all the time. And so I can relate to that, but I don't ever remember having access to drugs to sell and so it never occurred to me that that would be an, an answer. Does that make well, sense? Well, see, east of the river, west of the river, in D.C., tremendous difference. You yeah. go west of the river where Capitol Hill, LaFont Plaza, everything, it's an entirely different thing. When you come across South Capitol Street Bridge and now you're east of the river, mm -hmm. that's where you now run into, you look like you're in a third world country just coming across that bridge. So a lot of the resources and things that were west of the river didn't matriculate over to the east side of the river for years and years and years. There were numerous programs and stuff that never made it to the other side that people didn't know about. One of the biggest things that came about was exposure. So if you've never been exposed to anything, you never would have known about it. Just like me with these birds. Had I not a, needed a job, because I was selling drugs and ended up taking one that was, I knew I was going to be outside. So I knew I could still do little things I was doing. Didn't realize it was setting me up for something way bigger down the line. Right. And so it was just the fact of being exposed to it. So given the opportunity to expose people to it, that's why more people now you see are more interested in really understanding that the bird that they saw sitting on the pole was a red tailed hawk. Not just, mm -hmm. oh, that's a bird or every bird is an eagle because everyone <laughs> people call a kestrel, which is the smallest raptor native to the Americas. <laughs> it's the smallest. 
is that an eagle? Is, and you're just <laughs> like, oh my God. So trust me, it's exposure. Oh yeah. Well, we get that here. I mean, we have egrets and mm-hmm. osprey and then, but we have an easy comparison because then we'll see a bald eagle over our heads and be like, okay, those are two different birds. You can exactly. tell, but, exactly. but I love that. So this is really your mission is to make, make sure others who are interested get that exposure so that maybe they can make another choice. Like you had the opportunity to make other choices. I actually, it's funny you made that comment like that. I actually partnered up with one of the former people who started Earth Conservation Corps with me named Anthony Satcher White. And he started a program called Make Better Choices. And so one of the things that we do when we hook up together, especially as we explain to people how him and I first met, how we were at each other's throats and how everything was and who we are now and how we had to make those better choices, how we didn't at certain times and, you know, things of that nature. So when you said that about the better choices, it just (laughs) brought him to mind because that's what we actually do. We go around and we explain people. If you don't know, or you do know, you just on that fence and you're worried about what people think or, you know, back then me today, now I really don't care what anyone, I walk around in some holy jeans and some boots with, horse manure everywhere and shirts with bird poop every I mean you, I get down and dirty. But it's when like it's being time a parent. to clean up that's what happens, you know so when it's time to clean up though then you the people so worried about oh are they gonna like me because I don't have these shoes or I don't have this this no it's not about any of that. Do you like you? And I didn't like who I used to look at in the mirror. I love who I see back now. Before my mom died I tell everybody she always was proud of me. She wasn't always proud of what I was doing. Before she left here, I got to make her proud of what I was doing. That's the key for me. Yeah. I was just um, kind of in an interaction about that with um, some friends and one of my coaching clients. And we talked about the fact that um, you have to be comfortable looking in the mirror. And if you're about to do something where you look around to see if your kids are watching, or you look around to see if your mom's watching. You already know you're headed the wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. My son, oh, I love that. He's when a falconer. Yeah. Yeah, my son oh. became a falconer. He's a DC firefighter. And uh, he's a falconer. And he'll tell you that, that same thing. I told him when he went to take his test, uh, he, w- he had about four tests left. He called me. He said, Dad. I don't think I'm going to make it. I said, why? He said, if I fail one test, I'm out. I said, well, when you look yourself in the mirror, if you say to yourself, I've given everything I've had, I didn't leave anything out there. I'm proud of because you tried. If you look in that mirror and you say, man, I could have did this on them nights. I should have been studying. I went out and did this. You're not proud of you. So how in the world could you ever expect anyone else to be proud of? Mm. And so that's one of the things we live by. If you look at yourself in that mirror and you say, nah, I don't like what then change. So that's mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that happens is we have that aha moment and we decide we're going to change, but then it's taking the next step and actually doing something about <laughs> it and consistently. And then, 
And then you might slide back and decide that it's not worth it, or you slide back and think, well, I slid back, so I can't do it. And um, I think your story and what you're sharing about your son and what you shared with um, your, your falconer friends is that every day is that opportunity. Even if you slide back one day, the next day, you can try again and yes. like yourself. Yes. And at the end of the day, love yourself. Don't just like yourself. Love yourself. You are a creation that is unlike any other creation on this planet. You're unique. So you bring a specific set of skills to everyone's life the same way they bring to yours. It's figuring out what that skill is and not taking advantage, not being bigger than. You're not bigger than anyone. We're all the same. If you, if you can make someone smile, and it didn't cost you anything and you didn't shame on you. You can be in a store every other morning for a week. I, I had a little test. I said, when I'm in the store, I'm going to buy the first person a cup of coffee that I see. So in that, during that, I bought the people and they were setting it. Oh my God. Thank you. So I was like, ma'am, this is a dollar. You see what $1, you see how you feel today? over one dollar pass that on and i just leave out the store mm. and people would just look at me like why do you do certain things say man because i love to see people smile do you know how much hurt a person has been through that want to see somebody else smile because it's not just healing for that person that's smiling it's healing for the person that made you smile you know how many people i made cry to make people smile now that's a blessing yeah. And that's when you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love me. Yes, indeed. You me. gorgeous. Look at you. You gorgeous. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, I ma'am. did not make anyone cry today. And even better, I made how many people smile today? Exactly. Now, exactly. That's a goal. That's a goal I could get into. I tell people every time I see someone smile, actually, I see my mom. I see Monique. I see, t- I see all the people who I loved and loved me just because I'm who I am, not because I had a bird, not because I did this, just because I'm Rodney. Didn't matter whether I was up, down, right, wrong. They just love me. And every time someone smiles or a little kid go off or elderly person crying, oh, my God, I've never been this close to an animal like this before. And they just going off and I be sitting there saying, thanks, mom. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, sir. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. Your legacy at the end of the day. I told this guy the other day, if you gave me $50 million and I died, what did I leave? $50 million for people to fight over. If I made 50 million people smile, what did I leave? A gorgeous legacy. Hmm. Perfect. Rodney, if our listeners want to get a hold of you or make contributions to your nonprofit or just see some of what you're doing, what's the best way for them to find you and maybe even connect with you? I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, Rodney's Raptors and Rodney Stotts on uh, Twitter is Rodney Stotts and the number one uh, Instagram is actually Rodney underscore bird brother. And, uh, <laughs> the bird brother. <laughs> um, my, if you write my name out, Rodney Stotts, and cross off all the vowels, 
you'll have both of my email addresses for Yahoo and for Gmail. So it's R-D-N-Y-S-T-T-T-S, no vowels. I was wondering about that when I saw your email address. <laughs> like, what is that just name? It's, just, it's my name. Scratch it's just with no vowels in it. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Well, for listeners, if you happen to be listening in the car or as you're hiking or walking or doing your workout, I will have all of these links on the blog post associated with this podcast, as well as the website, Rod News Raptors, and um, maybe a few pictures that I'm hoping Rodney will send to me so that I can include them in the blog post associated with this podcast. We'll also do my best to um, put links to Wikipedia to the different that we've mentioned during this conversation so that you can see images of them and make this conversation come even more to life than you've already gotten out of Rodney's dot stories. Rodney, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you so much. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review. And let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you. <laughs>